0: No purchase necessary you were by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You, but we're we're, we're
2: working to... on that. We're working on that right now. Go ahead and give us a brief okay. introduction, Madeline.
3: Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, I'm Madeline Hittoria, and a uh, singer-songwriter from Deep South Texas. I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, my first performance, man, was, oh, my goodness, 21 years ago. I was only five years old uh, with my first performance, and it's just been nonstop ever since.
2: Uh, I
3: got my band together when I was in high school and we've been doing opening acts for for big names and, you know, traveling here around the region in Texas and, and just trying to get more and more out there.
2: Well, I'll tell you, you have a great background and uh, we've got some good music we're going to be playing here in a few. How did you get started uh, doing the music thing?
3: Oh, could you repeat that last thing you said? The I'm music
2: the... thing. How did you get started in the music business, Madeline?
3: Oh, yes, sir. So, um, the influence. First of all, came from my family. Um, My mom's side of the family are very musically inclined. Uh, They always have a guitar in their hand and always singing, and every time we get together as a family and have barbecues or grilling and uh, around the fire, bonfires, anything. So, you know, the love of music came from there. And then when I was around 14, 15 years old, there was a talent search going on in my region, in my area, for uh, actually it was mainly for modeling and acting and all that, but, you know, I still consider that an introduction to to the industry of performing arts, and so um, I was into that, and I did some vocal performance lessons with them, and and I competed in different competitions with them as far as acting goes, and it was just a plus that I sang, and, uh, you know, locally, too, I just, around my area, I, I got involved in different, um, you know, of course, I was in choir, and um, like I said, I put my band together when I was in high school, and I actually was songwriting all on my own uh, when I was about 13 years old, and when I was 15 is when I was really proud of my first official song and started playing it with guitar. And so, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it's just been something natural for me, you know, music. Um, no one's ever really done anything professional in my, in my family with it. Um, they're all so talented and I'm the first one to really pursue it and they're, they're all very supportive of me.
2: Well, we're going to play some of your music right now. Please stand by Madeline here. On... <laughs> Country artist Madeline Victoria with us today here on iHeartRadio and AMFM two four seven dot com. Madeline Victoria dot com is Madeline's official website, we welcome back Madeline Victoria to the iHeartRadio presentation here today. That was an incredible song. Um tell me a little bit about the writing process for that song.
3: Oh yes, definitely. And uh uh can you tell me what song that you played right now? Because Just because I couldn't hear it. I'm so sorry. He
2: Only Loves Me on the Dance Floor was one of the big hits we just played, Madeline.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Um, I wrote this song about, let's see, man, five to six years ago. It's been a while. And uh, it's just the inspiration came from here, being from Texas. Uh, all the dance halls that I go to and, you know, same story but told in a different way. Kind of, uh, you know, the line, he only loves me on the dance floor. and you can get the kind of gist of being in the dance hall, and actually, you know, it starts off with with uh, the idea of getting ready to go out and whatnot, and, you know, a lot of people have a lot of people have told me that they can relate so much to this. Um, even some guys are like, you know, that girl, she only loves me on the dance floor. You can head out there, and you guys have a great time dancing, and you never know what comes of it, you know, it's something serious, something not, and um, it's just really the gist of, of, of it all, like, you know, going out and having a good time at the dance hall, and sometimes and even maybe even an old love that you see there at the dance hall and you're like, Man, you know, it's kind of kinda of like me and my story of, of an ex of an ex boyfriend and, you know, we love to go dancing and you know, it ended up he really did only love me on the dance floor, so <laughs> Yeah, but um I'm I'm excited about that song that, you know, how much it's uh it's done so well with everybody and you know, you could see my music video um online anywhere. Uh, for this one, and, uh, and I'm glad people are enjoying it. And I hope everyone that listened to it right now liked it as well, of course.
2: Madeline Victoria with us today here on amfm247.com, iHeartRadio as well. And uh, Madeline, we're going to go to your next track here in a few moments. Uh, you have got some, uh, some great music out there. If people want to purchase your music or book you for a gig, how exactly do they do that? Oh, yes, they can go to
3: um, my website, madelinevictoriamusic.com, or they can actually message me directly on my Facebook page, Madeline Victoria. I've got myself and another, you know, always monitoring the the Facebook, and so I'm on there myself, and I like to do things firsthand. And so if anybody wants to, you know, purchase my music um, from my website, um, they can go to uh, anywhere online as well that that music is sold, or if you guys like to stream, it's, uh, it's there. And then also if they want to contact me about a booking, or just want to, you know, say hi or say something, whatever, uh, they can message me on Facebook.
2: Madeline Victoria with us today. And uh, Madeline, you've got a lot of good music out there. Uh, Tell us about some of the folks you've collaborated with in the past. Oh, could you say that one more Collaborated, working with folks, collaborated, making music. Tell us about some of the people you've worked with.
3: There we go. Now I can hear you. Yes, tell
2: us about the collaborations, Madeline.
3: Well, as far as shows go, you know I've done a lot of shows with uh, with some big names. Um, Shared the stage with with a couple. uh, My first one was Ethan Corbin that I did. You know I consider a big name um, back in man. It was like 2012, I believe. And then ever since then, it's been you know from Clay Walker to Josh Thompson. Uh, Aaron Watson, um, Texas artist, um, awesome Texas artist, and then also my, my biggest ones have been the Charlie Daniels band and, uh, also the Zac Brown band and, and sharing the stage with them and getting to know the band behind stage and also, you know, sharing their crowd, you know, th- being able to, to play for, for their crowds and, and, you know, see if they like my music is just, uh, an amazing thing and, you know, I'm hoping for a lot more and, you know, an actual tour with one of these bigger artists and it looks like we're getting there.
2: Well, tell me about wild Ride that's wild Ride. we're gonna play it here in a few moments. Tell me about Wild Ride.
3: That song actually um I wrote uh with the inspiration of being out in the back roads. um my uncle has a deer lease here in South Texas, and we were going with him to go check on the feeders and and uh you know check to see if he had any uh you know, whatever he was checking on out there in the land. And we went with him, me and my, my family, and we were all in his truck. And it, it was it's crazy and bumpy and, like, you know, it was pitch black. And my mom was like, you know, this is a wild ride. And I said, man, that's a song right there. So, you know, I always dedicated to my Uncle Joe for taking us out there and the inspiration of just having a good time with family, and, uh, you know, goes from there, and and, and I hope everyone enjoys it.
2: Well, we know you've got a busy day, Madeline. So we're going to play Wild Ride and let you go. I appreciate you being with us today here on AMFM.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having
2: me. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Here's Wild. The night is young
1: and the world.
2: Welcome back to the world-famous Cheeky Jaguar. Thank you. Happy to be back. And we've got John Anderson with us. He is fantastic. He is going to be participating as the promoter of a uh, huge, huge show, March 25th. It's going to be at the Kansas Star Arena, Kansas Star Casino in Wichita, Kansas. It is Nico Hernandez' pro debut, and it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. And, uh, John, how are you doing on this fine, fine, fine day?
0: I am doing excellent, ready to go, 100%. We're, uh, we've are we been anticipating this for a while, so we're excited about this event coming up for sure.
2: Now, when I spoke with you at the press conference, everybody was uh, terribly, terribly excited about the fact that uh, the 2016 Olympic Junior Flyweight Bronze medalist Nico Hernandez is going to be making his debut on CBS Sports Network. Talk to me a little bit about um, this deal, locking this down and bringing this... Uh, knockout night boxing history begins to the Kansas Star Arena.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean basically, you know, I I I have to give well, I have to give credit to Sean Wheelock who is our is part of our announcing team. He's actually the one that, you know, he's he's from the area. He told me about he told me about Nico um so i did some research flew down there i met with lewis which is nico's father Uh, we sat down had a great conversation sat down with kansas star and then we just realized this was just a great deal for everybody you know it's a great deal for us but it's a great situation for cbs it's a it's it's a great situation for nico obviously to debut main event on cbs uh, sports network which i think is a great opportunity but it's like i said to you before i think it's well deserved i mean he's in a You know, he's an Olympic medalist. Um, You really couldn't ask for more. I mean, this is the way I think the Olympians should be treated, that, uh, you know, go there um, and participate for our country.
2: Now, with this event, uh, you guys men- made mention at the uh, at the Kansas Star at the press conference that you've got, uh, I believe, four four or five shows that you're going to be doing with uh, the folks out there in Mulvane, Kansas. Um, how important is this for Nico to win this win this main event and potentially headline all those shows?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that's the way we keep the train moving along. You know what I mean? I, you know, nico has got to do his part, which I believe he will. Um, but I can tell you this, um, you know, Patrick Gutierrez is, is not coming to lay down. So no. I think you guys are going to be in for a real good one.
2: <laughs> now, talk to me a little bit about Patrick. I know when, when we spoke with him at the press conference, he, he seemed like uh, he could potentially be a spoiler uh, for, sure. for for this match,
1: yeah. um,
2: I, I spoke with Jim Ross earlier about this, and, and he said that uh, Patrick's a guy who is who has got a good record. He's not coming there to lose, so that this could be very interesting for Nico. It could be a long night for Nico Hernandez. Yeah,
0: you know, I yeah, no, I think Patrick is definitely coming to fight. Um, you know, he's actually from Vegas, so he's getting top notch sparring. He's getting top notch preparation. So. You know, he's not a kid that's coming to lay down. The kid is is very much coming to fight. I'm sure you guys noticed that at the press conference. Very confident, very grounded. Yes. Um, you know, I think he. I really believe Patrick is looking at this as his rocky moment. You know, um, and this is you know this is a big a big story. He's coming into this guy's backyard, um, but it really is a rocky story. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of storylines to this show. There's a lot uh to be said for Nico to be headlining there at the Kansas Star, um, who has been unbelievable to work with, by the way. So, you know, I I think this is uh this is a show that is a must see. I think it's great for Wichita. I mean all the way around. I mean I mean to see their you know, their kid in the in a big show, national television, it really just doesn't get any bigger than this.
2: Now, from a promoter's perspective, uh, take me through, obviously, Nico is is the easy one to lock in, finding an opponent for him. But tell me about the rest of the card and how you went about arranging uh, different people to come in and, and be on this show. Because you've got a heck of a lineup.
0: Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you... Uh... You know, the co main with the Tremaine Williams kid um is a a rock nation fighter. Um he's very, very talented. There's a good storyline behind that as well. But and then Nico Messias, who is in the you know, is the rooster, which is the other Nico that is on the show. We've had him on our shows before and he has absolutely been the star of everything that we've done, so I figured we had to bring him. Um this guy throws, you know, a hundred punches around just a complete, I mean, literally runs across the ring and he's getting hit. He smiles.
1: <laughs> he's just
0: kind of one of these guys that's a, a freak of nature. So, yeah, so the card, I mean, putting it together is is never easy, but we did load it with uh, Kansas kids, as you've probably seen. Yeah. Um, you guys are going to get to see Jeff Page as well, which was not a, uh, it, it was not easy to match, but we were able to get it done. And, uh, you know, we got Efren and, and Eric Vargas, so I mean, you know, it's, it's stacked pretty good. You know, I, I think Kansas is really in for a treat from top to bottom.
2: Now, uh, we spoke with Efren on the, uh, Sunday radio show, uh, this last weekend, and, uh, he is excited. He was talking about some of the prep that he's doing for the fight. Um, he, he is, he is, like I said, he's excited. He's about to bounce off the walls. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a big opportunity for him. Big opportunity. It's, it's going to be the biggest show, I mean, you know, by far he's ever been on. I mean, Efren's never, you know, been on this stage, and this is going to give us a chance to take a look at Efren, too. So, you know we're excited to see what the kids got
2: now w- with this event you're bringing in uh some some of some of the big time names as far as kansas spiders um and, and arranging this show how how quick after this show's over with do you start making plans for the next either your next fight card or your, your next kansas card
0: yeah no uh, well i mean as far as i mean as far as my next fight card you know i got another one in cancun A couple weeks later but um you know i mean as far as kansas goes i i I think once this thing kind of settles in you know we'll sit down with the kansas star and uh and and talk about you know what we can do in the future um but you know i think the plan would be to give people as much as they want to take you know so um you know i know nico probably be you know say he comes through this unscathed or whatever he'd probably be ready to go in in uh in two three months so it's it's just really, you know, something we gotta sit down and talk to the Kansas Star about, but uh but that'll be on the agenda uh, uh right after the fight, hundred percent.
2: Now putting putting this show together, when did you start uh building everything for March twenty fifth before you guys even had a press conference?
0: Yeah, we were already starting in um in in uh well uh, we had the conversation. I actually had the conversation in Cancun with uh, Sean Wheelock in uh in In September, and then we started to kind of uh, get this thing moving right after the holiday so I mean January is when it really started to ramp up um, so you know time was ticking, but the can star i i I have to say I mean they were really eager and ready to do this um you know, I think they think a lot of Nico as well, so I just think it was just a win win for everybody, but the Kansas star really. Has been unbelievable to work with. I I can't even say enough good things about the Kansas Star. I mean, I I think people should really come out, see this venue, you know, see what they've they put there for everybody to see. I mean, it's just an unbelievable venue. But on top of it, um, you know, they're just really wanting to get entrenched in the community as well. So, I mean, I think it's just a great opportunity for everybody to come out and bring their family, and really enjoy a great show and to see, you know, Nico Hernandez.
2: Now, uh this is going to be a, a tremendous, tremendous show. Just some of the fighters you've talked about. Um, uh, talk to me about the, the, the show itself. I know that Sean, um, it, it seems like everybody and their brother uh, keeps putting over Sean as as the guy <laughs> that, that put this show yeah. together. Even when I talked to Jim Ross, he was like, Sean Wheelock yeah. is the reason that this is in place. Um how how much of a, uh, uh, I guess, from a match perspective, did did Sean have with trying to find some of the fighters, or did he just give you the idea and you ran with it?
0: I, mean, I, I think it was a combination of both. But, I mean, I have to tell you this. I mean, this was the thing that was kind of giving me a little pause is, is Sean was telling me, look, you know, Nico Hernandez has to be the main event. Now, you got to understand, I mean, you know doing you know this- you know you you i don't even know if you could even find a pro debuter that was on national television uh besides maybe sugar Ray Leonard yeah that you know debuted you know that that debuted in a main event so yes. it 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 was a tough sell for me um but as soon as I got down there and started to kind of research this thing a little bit, I realized you know he was spot on so it's just that's what I'm saying. This really is, you know, you know when we say history, you know, begins. This this really is history. I mean, it really is amazing that you know Nico is going to be uh, on CBS Sports in a in a main event and yes. uh, you know in front of his hometown on top of it. So I just think it really says a lot about Sean because uh, you know Sean told me this is this is the only way this thing would work and you know he was right. I mean things are. I mean, things are going, uh, good. Tickets are moving. People seem excited. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping we sell this thing out for the Kansas Star and for Nico and then for us as well, you know, just to show the community that, hey, listen, this is a, a place to be.
2: Now, uh, when when you started to go find opponents, uh, why did you guys uh, pick Patrick of all people to to face Nico? Because pa- Patrick's a hell of a dude. When I interviewed him at, at the press conference <laughs> and just see him, yeah. uh, seeing some of his footage on on YouTube and things, this guy is is a heavy hitter.
0: Yeah, you know, well, I'm I'm from Vegas, so you know, I was aware of Patrick, and I just felt comfortable, you know, trying to bring somebody that uh, you know would have a little charisma. And, uh, and try to bring something to the show. So, um, you know, I, I just think Patrick was a perfect guy. You know, I think he's a perfect guy right now for Nico. And this will, this will be a good test for him. And this is, you know, I mean, you got to start somewhere. So, um, you know, I just thought, you know, Patrick being from Vegas, um, you know, having a little bit of experience, I think would, would, uh, bode well. And plus I really wanted to bring a good fight. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, man, we don't want fights that are just going to be, you know, blowouts or fights that are just going to be uh, boring for the crowd. You know, man, we're all about bringing big-time fights. So, you know, I think you guys will see that come um, Saturday for sure.
2: John Anderson with us today talking about the big March 25th, Nico Hernandez pro debut at the Kansas Star Casino. And uh, before we let you go, um, sure. what's what's next? You mentioned Cancun. Um, you, you, you've got a lot of, of good shows planned, I know, for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, we got. Um, you know, we'll be doing. Uh, uh, we'll be in Cancun about seven times this year, um, and, I, and then I got some other shows uh, across the U.S. that we're working on. We'll be. Uh, uh, we'll be in Henderson, Nevada, here coming up in a couple months, um, and hopefully, you know, we're we're stacking it up there in Kansas. I mean, that's the plan. So, um, you know, I think I'm going to have a pretty busy year. We'll do probably about close to twenty shows this year total. Which is a lot for anybody, you know
2: uh, that is that is amazing, and I'll have to say, from top to bottom, uh, the whole presentation has been professional as heck. And uh, yeah, you guys, thank you. you guys I
0: appreciate that.
2: You guys are are looking to put on a a good product. Um, before we let you go, talk to me a little bit about the broadcast team. Um, Jim Ross, <laughs> Colin Boxing is is absolutely amazing, and Isn't I worked with I worked with Sean before, and Sean uh, he is he is just a ball of energy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the broadcast team.
0: Sure, sure. I'll, I'll I'll be glad to. I mean, first of all, I I have to put my partner Mike Arrow, over on on the Jim Ross element. That was actually, um, you know, brought to my attention uh, uh, by Mike. He's a huge you know huge wrestling guy. Yeah. And we just wanted to be different, you know, man. We wanted to bring a storyteller, you know, to the shows um, and somebody who would you know kind of look at it from a different perspective. And Jim brings um Jim is he does all the research, he's well versed. You know, people think, Oh my god, you know, Jim Ross is on there, he's not a regular boxing guy. Jim actually knows a lot about boxing. Yes, so he does. um you know you know, he really digs down deep and and I just thought Jim was actually perfect for Kansas on top of it. I mean, it it just made a lot of sense and and Jim's just been a. he's just been one of the biggest pieces, you know, to the KL 9 team. I mean he by far um he's got a, you know a million plus followers but he's just but Jim is actually just an unbelievable talent and Sean Sean just speaks for itself i mean Sean can do it all Sean can do MMA he can do wrestling he can do taekwondo he can do boxing. i mean so i mean we really got a guys if you do listen to the broadcast they're very experienced um and they know what they're doing and they call a hell of a show but i mean Jim really brings a storytelling you know element you know, he'll, he'll talk about the backgrounds of fighters and, and I think people want to hear, you know, a different perspective opposed to just calling blow for blow. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Oh, I hear you on that. Well, uh, well, John, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. Looking forward to uh, chatting with you again, uh, March 25th and, uh, have yourself a good rest of the week, my friend.
0: Yeah, guys, come out and check out the show, man. We're excited. Okay, thank you so much for having me.
2: Definitely. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you, John. John Anderson with us today, part of the big, big show coming to the Kansas Star Casino. And, uh, it is, it is gonna be something else. History begins with Nico Hernandez. back to the Chiggy Jaguar Show on the network. Welcome back to our world-famous Chiggy Jaguar radio broadcast, coast-to-coast coast and border-to-border border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and, of course, the world-famous 50-plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world, iHeartRadio as well. And we have got a great guest with us today on the line, Reza, the uh, magician. He is amazing, and uh, if you've ever seen him live, you'll have your opportunity to see him live uh, this weekend, McPherson Opera House in McPherson, Kansas. We welcome to the broadcast my good buddy Razor. How are you, sir?
4: Hey, man, I'm great. How are you?
2: Pretty good, actually. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about the show that you're going to be doing this weekend down at the McPherson Opera House in McPherson. I mean, the live
4: show, the, the best part about uh, the tour is it's, uh, it's interactive. I get to actually uh, bring people up on stage feel the energy of the crowd, and so that's the major difference between, you know, television or YouTube and actually being able to connect with the live crowd. So it's going to be uh, big illusions, you know, massive, uh, you know, effects, but it's also going to be kind of an intimate, interactive experience, too, where you'll see some of these things kind of come to life, so it'll be a lot of fun.
2: Now, uh, how long have you been doing this, man? Because you've been out there on the road and uh, traveling up and down the highways and the byways for a heck of a long time.
4: Yeah, I've been traveling for 15 years now, and um, it's kind of always been my passion is bringing magic um, on the road to people. And uh, so we've we've been on the road for a good amount of time now. And you know, in that time, we've been through Kansas um, on a number of occasions yes. and got to see you. What was that? Four years ago
2: now. Oh, good lord! It's been at least four years. Uh, <laughs> seen you uh, here in Hutchinson when you were when you were uh, on your whirlwind tour. Um, now, w- w- what are some of the crowds and uh, some of the folks across the country and around the world when you go and you do your shows? What's some of the feedback you've been getting from folks?
4: Um, you know, it's great. Every area kind of has um, you know it's, its own kind of things, own vibes, and so we'll do some areas. Uh, we've got. You know, the following to fill huge uh, spaces. You know, in Mexico, we, we sold 200,000 tickets in, uh, over the course of 45 shows in, uh, in Mexico. So that's, you know, a, a great size venue for us. You know, arenas, uh, we were in Vegas last week. Um, and now when we're in the Midwest, we've got, you know, these smaller venues, which are a really cool thing to play because they're not, uh, you know, these massive venues where you start to lose that connection. You gain the energy you know, of, of a huge crowd, we lose the connections. Now, uh when we come to these theaters, it's actually an opportunity for us to uh, to perform something and, and really gauge people's reactions by being able to see their facial expressions. You know, I can actually hear, you know, some of the comments, which is funny because they don't realize, you know, sometimes I think that I can literally hear what they're saying, you know, in the front row or some of those things, and so it just feels a little bit uh, different, you know, in a positive way. Uh, but, you know, no matter... How big or small the crowd is, you know, the energy is really what feeds the show and what uh, pushes me to kind of keep developing brand new illusions, which is what we're bringing uh, to Kansas.
2: Well, and that was that was going to be my next question. How how often do you add things or subtract things or uh, kind of change the uh, kind of change the whole presentation up a little bit?
4: Constantly. Um, the the show that I'm doing tonight, for example, is about ninety percent different in the show that I did last night, and we traveled with enough material to kind of do that and change it up, so that way when uh, people come back and see the show, it's always different for them, but also for us, it always keeps it fresh as well, so we're always uh, being able to have a a new, fresh experience along with the crowd, which I think is is a a good thing, because once it starts to get dull or boring and we go through the motions, it's game over, because then the audience doesn't feel that same uh, sense of of you know the entertainment value if we're not into it so uh we always try and keep it fresh for 200 shows a year you know is what we do so i think that's a really important factor
2: well being able to uh to to keep this whole ball rolling i know that you've got an incredible team behind you um talk about some of the different folks that you work with uh on the road and 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 in-house there
4: yeah it definitely takes the team everybody has their own specialty Um, I travel with several people, you know, on our tour bus who all have their own specific jobs. And we we roll into a city to make everything happen, from lighting and sound to uh, our logistics, uh, you know, all those things, along with the local crew, the venue, the folks who come, you know, help us, uh, assist us in in, uh, getting everything uh, built. And then back on the trailer, back on the road, you know, in addition to that, we've got a creative team and a management team who are always flying in and out and looking at things and brainstorming with me to keep everything as cutting edge as possible
2: now social media is a huge part of uh, of your marketing and and some of your uh, some of your campaigns and, and different things tell me a little bit about how you're using social media to uh to get your message out there
4: yeah it's crazy what can happen through social media uh back in the day i had a video that i put out uh, when youtube still first started coming into existence called switchblade and you can still look it up unfortunately they took the original video down because of the music rights later years later that became an issue
1: yeah
4: uh... we had to get permission for music at the time we didn't know that so this video uh... right when youtube took off uh... you know went viral and all of a sudden i was getting calls from new york and vegas and all these places that say hey we saw your video and uh... we want to bring you out and so for a midwest kid that was you know that was huge kind of get the exposure you know now i look back and that was uh, that was awesome. But the same kind of thing is still happening. Like I put out a video uh, about a year ago with, uh, with Cherry Coke. I actually, made Cherry Coke turn to, to cherries, the real cherries. And, wow. Um, and that video again went on all, all over, and we get a call from Japan. They said, Hey, we want to put you on our network TV show. Uh, Twenty million viewers every week on the show. I said I'd love to, but the dates just don't work out. So they flew the whole crew to the U.S. and they shot this reality show. Now we've since had two different appearances in Japan. From that one video, and I did something with an Oreo recently, and uh, they put on PBS online. And then Duck Dynasty called, and actually I'm doing that Oreo trick uh, just from a video. You know, now I'm doing on Duck Dynasty this Wednesday at 7 p.m. And they um, got a chance to hang out with the guys from Duck Dynasty and. They kind of wrap the whole episode, you know, around it. So when you look at these things that are really cool um, and then you pull them back to, you know, where that start? A lot of it is social media. And so, um, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there.
2: Amazing, amazing. Now, uh, the Opera House show this weekend, it's going to be... Big time, Saturday. Check out org for more information on tickets and everything else. And, uh Reza, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and chatting with us today here on the radio. Thank you, brother.
4: Yeah, great talking with you again.
2: Definitely. Well, we'll see you this weekend. Have, have yourself a good week. Sounds good. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Reza, with us today, we are going to take a time out. When we come back, we've got more coming up here on the big broadcast. good the other day,
5: and I'm still good. <laughs>
2: Well, Irwin got a hold of me the other day, and he's like, we need to get George on, and so I wanted to have you on, and I wanted to talk about radio today, because we we talked about your books a little bit, and we're going to talk about your books uh, today as well, but I wanted to get you on today to talk about radio, because you pretty much are the man who's been called the father of talk radio. You simply are just the guy and i had a uh, i had a very pleasant uh, probably about an hour conversation with you uh last week about uh about radio and hiring and all these things and i wanted to get you on the phone today to talk about radio whether it was radio when when you were out there at KABC or even radio that we have now um first of all uh, let's start there what is one of the many changes uh, from the time of when you were the president of KABC Radio in Los Angeles, where you spent about 38 years broadcasting at the station, which was the first all-talk, 24-hour, straight daily facility in the U.S.? What was some of the major changes that you've seen over the years in radio?
5: Well, first of all, uh, is your audience thoroughly familiar with what was? Before we talk about afterwards, uh, are they are they totally familiar with what talk radio was at the beginning, and how people and and what we thought about talk radio when we first initiated it in 1960. Did anybody ask that question, or are you familiar with that? Well,
2: we're, we're a little bit familiar on that, but from your perspective, explain that to us because uh, I've I've done various research, I've educated the audience here and there, but from from your perspective of all these years of radio, uh, when when you guys put talk radio into place, what was some of the uh, some of the ideas and, and 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 give us a little bit of a history lesson here, George.
5: Well, first of all, I joined KABC Television in 19. I'm an old f. Okay, I'm 85 now, <laughs> yeah. but I was a young puppy uh, going to UCLA, and then I became a uh, page uh, on the page staff at NBC while I was uh, uh, while I was doing some student, uh, student teaching to become a school teacher. To make a long story short. Uh, I didn't become a school teacher. I stayed at NBC. Somebody said if you're going to be in the sales department, you better go to Palm Springs uh, and get an education. I did. I sold some spots in Palm Springs for six months. Went back to LA. I was the first salesperson for FM in Los Angeles because it was unheard of in in 19 <clears throat> in 1957. I guess after after I went to school nineteen fifty seven was unheard of. FM. And to make a long story short, I uh, I moved over there to to uh, to KABC which was still doing network shows, network television shows, um uh The Breakfast Club, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, Ben Hoberman, my boss, said, you know, W O R in um in New York and KMOX in St. Louis they have all got a little bit of talk, and we've had a little bit of WABC. So we're going to start the first all-talk station in 1960. And so I, as a salesperson, because I was a salesperson there for five years, I said, what the heck is talk? He said, that's where we're not going to play any music. We're going to just have personalities, uh, and then uh, we'll have uh, some listeners. We'll attach some phone calls. And technologically, we'll be able to talk to the listeners. So we hired some early personalities, uh, some of which were Joe Pine, who was the first personality on the air who said, go gargle with razor blades. And that, <laughs> yes. was terrible, yes. that was a terrible thing for anybody to say on the air. But to make a long story short, we had Pamela Mason, was the wife of uh, a very famous actor many years ago, James Mason. Yeah. And she was on the air and Myron Bennett. And we had a various various uh, assortment of personalities. And as a salesperson, I said, I mean, how are you going to attract an audience and what good is is a radio station that doesn't play music? Uh, and who's going to listen? Well, we found out that people who listened to the radio station heard what they, they were listening to, and that was a big difference between music stations, because there's a lot of young people that, that listen to music stations, but they're not, not hearing it. They have it on in the background, they're talking to their friends, they're driving in a car, not listening. You must, if you're gonna to listen to talk radio, you must listen. And that's the big, big commercial advantage of talk radio, we found out very quickly that even though we didn't have a large circulation, and in the radio business the term is cume, C-U-M-E,
2: cumulative,
5: that means how many, what's the circulation. We didn't have very many people listening in the early 60s, but the people that did listen, they were very responsive to our commercial uh, personalities because they were hearing the commercial. If I got on top of a building and yelled Coca-Cola, people might have heard a sound, but they may not have been listening. So there's a lot of difference, and I don't want to get into it here, but there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. We can hear a lot of sounds, but listening is where you're paying attention, and the, the, uh, the real golden... The golden tool in talk radio is listening, hearing the commercial, and loyalty to personalities, because people love, love to, uh, to be, be, love to believe the commercial that is being read to them. And when some personality endorses the spot, says, I use this, I drive this car, I wear these shoes, I buy my groceries at this store, then they pass that commercial believability from them on down to the listener, and that's the difference between a commercial that's that's pre-recorded and one that's endorsed by a personality. So very slowly through the years from 1960 to about 1970, we started attracting uh, a, a large audience because people were getting tired of music, they were getting tired of rock and roll. They were getting tired. They just wanted something different, and so through the years, the 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 uh, the format uh, advanced to the point that now there are thousands of talk radio stations all over the country. Every major radio uh, city, every major city, major town has a talk station. At one time, they had three or four, but right now, because of the um, uh, the breakdown of, uh, of, of communication, in other words, the diversification of communication that now allows us to have cell phones, Twitter accounts, uh, uh, Facebook accounts. There's all the social media that's come in and tore into, uh, into commercial AM and FM. Now, when FM first came in, most of the advertising agencies didn't believe that 49% of the population listened to FM. I got thrown out of an advertising agency once because one of the advertising media directors said, oh, get out of here. Who the heck believes that that many people listen to FM? And at that time, maybe they had 25%. And I kind of lied a little bit. So uh, by the time the 70s came around, indeed the percentage of people listening to fm had increased and increased and increased to the point that uh, the am uh, uh that am radio uh, had diminished in the size of their audience and fm radio had increased theirs but nevertheless through the years and that was your first question is how has it changed yeah. well it changed because now that you know we have uh, very few, uh, big personalities. Rush Limbaugh still has about five or six hundred radio stations on his network. And so there are fewer talk radio, uh, people, but there are longer networks. The Salem radio network, I still manage Dennis Prager on the Salem radio network, which is about three hundred stations. And there's, uh, Michael Savage and there's, oh, probably, uh, a couple dozen of uh, major networks. And then the local markets around the country still uh, have their own little personality who talk about their town and what's going on in their city. So talk radio is far from dead. It's the most powerful radio medium in terms of selling product because of what I talked to you before. People listen, people hear, and then people buy.
2: We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here uh, via the uh, magic of Skype. And uh, George is uh, an amazing, amazing guy. George Green with us today. He has been called the father of talk radio. And uh, we just simply didn't have enough time last week to chat with him about his colorful career. So we've got him back with us today from Palm Springs. And uh, George retired a few years ago as president of KABC Talk Radio in Los Angeles where he spent 38 years in broadcasting at that station. Now um, what do you make of uh the way that some personalities such as uh a, a gentleman you might be aware of or familiar with um, Tom Licaus who has went to the internet and uh and done talk radio on online. Um, what 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 do you think of that 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 talk radio has kind of evolved into becoming part in internet radio now?
5: Well, let me back you up a minute. Are you, are you saying you're broadcasting from Palm Springs?
2: No, we are. We we are calling you from Palm Springs. From from what I okay, understand.
5: yeah, that, that's where I'm. <laughs> uh, I'm located here at Palm Springs. Yes, you're, K- yes, yes. You're, uh, you're Kansas. you Kansas man. Yes, indeed. So, yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, but the uh, interesting mention of Tom Likas.
1: Yeah.
5: Uh, I managed two radio stations in Los Angeles. One was KABC. And one we bought, uh, I was responsible for buying uh, the one of Gene Autry who had a, a, a chain of radio stations, Golden West Radio. I bought KMPC from Golden West. Gene Autry, if you remember the old cowboy. Yes. Well, he had died and his wife uh, uh, took over. And so they sold, they were selling the group of stations, so I bought KMPC. And KMPC, I turned KMPC into a talk station and hired Tom Likas because Tom Likas was was the guy who would, he was the late day Joe Pine, but Tom Likas would insult everybody, including me. And I remember (laughs) one day I was sitting in my office and I was monitoring Tom Likas, okay, he was on, uh, KFI, another radio station.
1: Yeah. That's right yes,
5: before I hired him. And I remember clearly, oh, he's on KLSX, excuse me. And I remember monitoring him, and Tom Likas embarrassed the hell out of me by, he said on the air, he said, look, we uh, we know everybody's listening, including George Green, probably listening in his office, to find out whether I'm going to insult somebody or not. <laughs> well, I was, and I slammed the <laughs> slam the radio shut. But uh Tom was was and is a uh, a very controversial person. Uh listeners love controversy. They love people who tell it as it is. Tom does that. And uh, Tom uh Tom has a great reputation for uh for uh, for, uh, for challenging somebody one on one. And is not afraid to use any kind of language. Uh, he stops short of, of fulfilling and using the F word, but he, uh, he, he says everything else and he, uh, he gets ratings. Now, him moving to the internet, uh, well, first of all, he's got a pretty good, pretty good chunk of audience. He has yeah. a mailing list of over 300,000. People that have been communicating uh, to him, and so he uh, easily took a three hundred thousand. He says, "Look, I'm going over to the internet, and here's how you can get me." And so the internet has a, a world, uh, a world signal. You can you can hear him any place. So it isn't just one city. It's the world's uh, the world is his oyster, so to speak. So, anybody on the internet could catch his show, and he's been extremely su- successful because he owns his own internet channel.
2: Yes. Yes, we've got uh, George Green with us today. He retired a few years ago as president of KABC Talk Radio in Los Angeles. And uh, the station broadcast the L.A. Dodgers for many years. George was invited by many times to spring training in Vero Beach, Florida, and met the greats in baseball, including Ben Scully, Tommy Lasorda, etc. Tell me about uh, the, the Dodgers and radio, because uh, the Dodgers, especially in Los Angeles the last couple of years, have had... a uh, an interesting time with with, with their television provider. Um, you obviously worked on the radio side of things. Uh, d- tell us about your relationship with the Dodgers.
5: Oh boy, you've just touched a uh, touched a nerve. Before I do, I don't want <laughs> you to ever forget the fact I uh, I've got 14 books that I want people to go. through yeah, 11 yes. books. Three others. We'll get to that later. Oh, we're but, gonna
2: we're gonna get I to mean, that. Yeah.
5: Well, uh, don't forget that. That's important to me. But the Dodgers, I have a pillow that I'm staring at right now. My dog is on my chair uh, next to me in my office. But I'll tell you what the pillow says. The pillow says this marriage, and I was married for 42 years, this marriage interrupted by baseball. So (laughs) in uh, 1974, KFI had had the Dodgers since they came into Los Angeles, in 1958, they played their first game at the Memorial Coliseum, and then they were on KFI at the time, and they stayed on KFI until 1974. My boss, Ben Hoberman, uh, came in as manager, uh, and then he met with uh, Peter O'Malley. And Peter O'Malley had just gone through a dialogue with KFI, where KFI refused to carry the Dodgers' spring training games. And our ratings, we were kind of near the bottom of the pile. We had just started talk radio. And KFI insisted on, uh, on not broadcasting KFI's games live during the day. They want to relegate their games to nighttime or weekends. And Ben said to the manager KFI, no, uh, we, uh, uh, well, it was Peter O'Malley who said to the manager of KFI, we don't want the games at night or on weekends. We want you to broadcast them when they are live. And they said no. Peter said yes. Then Peter said, well, goodbye, KFI. And, and we, uh, we heard about that and rushed over to uh, Peter and signed a first year contract in 1974. And by us getting the Dodgers, it took us from from 20th in the market to number one. So it, it was the greatest single change in broadcasting history that adding one feature, the Los Angeles Dodgers, which was loved by everybody because there were no baseball, uh, there was no television games in 1974, because Walter O'Malley, Peter O'Malley's father, uh Walter O'Malley didn't believe that television was going to help. He felt that if people watched television, they wouldn't be listening to radio and they wouldn't come to the ball game. Most of all, they'd be home uh watching television and just the opposite happened because people, as you know, if you go to a baseball game, people got a radio uh in their ear while they're at the ball game. So we, uh, we benefited by KFI's stupidity and we picked up the Dodgers and put, put us up in near the top of the ladder. For all the years that I was at KABC, we were either number one, two, or three for, uh, from 1974 to 1996 when I retired from ABC. But I was at the ball game three days a week. I went down to Vero Beach every year as a guest of the Dodgers. Peter O'Malley invited me to spend a week with uh, the Dodgers. I've got two World Series rings uh, hanging on my wall, one from 1981 and 1988 World Series. Uh, I was part of the team literally because I was with them all the time. And Peter gave me a World Series ring uh, that I I cherish, two World Series rings. And right below that, uh, those two rings are uh, uh ten baseballs that are hung up alongside it, a baseball cap, uh say world champion. And I'm looking at my picture now. There's a picture of Tommy Lasorda and myself and a picture of the greatest, <laughs> of my best guests that I ever had to the ball game. Ball games through the years I might have had a hundred different guests, Joe DiMaggio, is a picture of uh, myself with him uh, sitting in a box. And I remember uh, <laughs> one of the funniest stories of all about Joe DiMaggio. Um, he and I were at the ball game that day that I took the picture. And you know the way they have these diamond vision screens at a ball game, a great yeah. big huge screen. Yeah. Mitsubishi put the screen on. And they uh, the camera. Uh, Shifted to us, and the announcer Vince Gulley, said, "Oh, there's Joe, there's George Green with very famous Joe DiMaggio." Well, the next day, I got a telephone call from a friend of mine. Said, "George, I was at the ball game last night. I was sitting down in the grandstand there, and up came your picture on Mitsubishi with Joe DiMaggio, and the guy next to me looked up at the picture at the Mitsubishi, and he said to me, he says." Look up look up there look at that picture there's the guy that ma- that married Marilyn Monroe
2: <laughs> That's amazing that is amazing
5: <laughs> So well, I had a lot of great experiences with some wonderful people wonderful guests uh traveling with the team uh quite often especially at Vero Beach Ross Porter is uh, was a major announcer right alongside Vin Scully, and I yes. managed Ross Porter for about six years, managed his career, and I'm still friends with Tom Lasorda, who still wears the uh, Dodger uniform, Dodger blue, Yeah, still friends with Steve Garvey, who played ball for the Dodgers, and uh, some of the greatest memories in my life are uh, have been spent with the Los Angeles Dodgers.
2: Speaking with George Green today, he joins us here on our big broadcast, and uh, it is an amazing career that he has had. He was uh, at the helm of KABC Talk Radio in Los Angeles. He spent 38 years in broadcasting. Um, We just mentioned the thing about the Dodgers, and uh, we're going to be talking about in in our next segment here with George about uh, when he retired, he reinvented himself as an author and penning 14 books. Before we get to that... Um, my final question on, on your talk radio career is, you mentioned when, when you guys started to, to produce talk radio and put talk radio together that you wanted to have no music and, and, and things of that nature. When did, and when did bumper music and, and, and some of these things come in to talk radio? Because uh, I know Rush Limbaugh does it and uh, many others now do it. Glenn Beck, Alex Jones, even Tom Likas. When, when did bumper music become a big part of talk radio?
5: Well, I'm not sure it's a big part. Are you talking about the little musical intros yes, that uh, yes. most personalities have?
2: Yes, indeed, yes, the little music intros.
5: No, uh, yes. uh, well, I here again, if it's any more than uh, 10 seconds, uh, I'm unaware of it. Uh, maybe some of the new talk radio uh, talent around the country play a lot more. But we uh, we always had a musical intro, a little one, it kind of lightens up the thing, and and uh, what it, it is is identification music for a given program. That personality will play the same intro, a uh, bumper music, so to speak, if that's what you mean. Yeah. And then the listener would know that it's the Tom Likas show, or it's the John Jones show, or the Jim Lowe show.
1: Yeah.
5: Is the music becomes identified with the talent. So it gets your attention if you're doing something else, if you're gardening, all of a sudden you hear this music. If the radio is on, the gar- you know, it's on while you're gardening and doing something else, all of a sudden you hear Jim Lowe's introduction. Wow, Jim's on the air. No more gardening. I'm going to go listen.
1: <laughs> so that's
5: probably the prime reason for bumper music is uh, to identify the talent that's on the air and get their attention.
2: Well, uh, we've got a great guest with us today, and, uh, George Green joins us here on our big program. And, uh, George retired a few years ago as president of KABC Talk Radio in Los Angeles. He's been 38 years in broadcasting at that station. He reinvented himself fairly recently. He penned 14 books, 11 in the children's field. He's also written about famous people he's met in a, uh, in, in, an amazing, amazing book. It's called Spotlight. And uh tell us a little bit about your books because fourteen books and eleven in the children's field, that is absolutely amazing, George.
5: Well, uh first of all I'll start with the children's book, then I'll I'll end up telling you about out of the spotlight.
1: because
5: yeah. that's a very special book. But I uh, I was a um I didn't immediately go into broadcasting because I went to UCLA and I wanted to be a school teacher, a fourth grade elementary school teacher, and so I became a page at NBC, giving tickets out uh, on the street to. To uh, oh, mo- most of your older senior citizens would remember Queen for will, uh, will You Be Queen for the day, uh, that was uh, one of the uh, uh, sh- uh, t- one of the shows that was on here. But nevertheless. I was going to be a school teacher, and then I didn't become one. I went into the broadcasting business, had a great career with ABC running a great radio station, retired in nineteen ninety six and became a talent manager and i've uh, just got through managing uh leon ca- Ka- uh, well, I still manage Motorman, who's on a lot of stations, and Larry Elder. Uh, and uh oh a lot of other personalities um probably a dozen of them but the idea of my children's books were here again was kind of a uh a look back at uh the the stories that i told my kids when they were 6 and 7 and now they're 50 but they were about animals who can't do what they're supposed to do you think they would could do fred the dog who can't bark you know, uh, ends up as the strongest little cub and helps other little animals all around. Softy, the bird who can't fly, uh, and she—it's a cute little cartoon book. And uh, Softy uh, flunks out of uh, flying school because she still can't fly, and she ends up with a beautiful voice. All our characters have other assets, which is the name of the game—is that all our books? are about animals who have other other qualities, like Kathy, the cow who can't moo, but she has the sweetest milk around, and they sell her milk at, at a fair. You know, and then I went fishing one day, and i, uh, I got a long story about that, and it's called Flukey, the fish who couldn't be caught. And then there is Harry, the horse with no hope, and that's a really interesting story about a horse that was attacked by a mountain lion, had no hope they they thought the horse was gonna die. Friend of mine rehabilitated Harry the horse and now she rides Harry the horse and Harry Harry didn't have any hope until she was given a lot of love by Kathy. So uh I've got Perky the pig who uh who did who this is a pig who didn't like being dirty and uh she advises all the other pigs to get out of the mud And the moral of that story, the bottom line, obviously, is uh, for parents to say, you should be clean. So there is, at the end of every book, there are fun facts about each of the animals. So you can you see some wonderful illustrations that have been done by uh, 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 my illustrator in Indonesia, an editor in South Africa, and a book designer in Serbia. They're beautifully illustrated books, cost about $10 a book. Ten or fifth, ten dollars and fifty cents a book. And you can go to Amazon, uh, and ask for George Green's books. And all the books are on my website, www.georgegreen.net. You can see the books, you can buy them, you can enjoy them. And then you can, uh, you can look at my other, uh, wonderful book called Out of the Spotlight. And here's a, uh, 400 page, well, it was now it's down to 250. Page nice. about if you're over 50 on your audience, and if you've got a talk station, people would remember Pat Boone, you know, and he, uh, I interviewed Pat Boone. I interviewed Artie Johnson from Laughing. I interviewed Katherine Ross, who is the motion picture star of The Graduate, Monty Hall, Pulitzer Prize winner me, Gene all. Heller. Interviewed Mitch Kupchik of the Lakers and Fred Claire of the Dodgers, Tommy Sora of the Dodgers. I interviewed Michael Dukakis, who ran for president. Michael yes. Reagan is a good friend of mine, the son of, of Ronald Reagan. Peter Eubaroth, who did the Olympics in 84. Frank Sinatra's wife, Barbara Sinatra, and Sid Caesar, John Wooden.
1: Jeez. Dozens,
5: dozens of other people I know that you'll recognize them, and they're all part of this book called Out of the Spotlight.
2: That is amazing. George Green with us today. We're going to be getting to uh, our next segment here in a few moments. We've got uh, our, our, our next guest patiently waiting on the line, but uh, we're talking with George Green. Now, uh, w- w- with, this, um, with this Spotlight book, um, what, was, what was the writing process and, and being able to put that whole thing together? What was that like for you?
5: By the way, it's called Out of the Spotlight Out of the Budget because yeah, yes, people who are no longer in the spotlight, yes. like myself, who was in the spotlight at one time in my life and, and are no longer, all 55 of my guests are all people who are very famous, but the spotlight went down. And the question that I asked myself when writing it, well, what happens when you're when the spotlight is on you, you're running a big company business-wise, and now you're no longer with them, how do you spend your life? Do you look back? The answer is no, you look ahead. And that's what this book is all about, is how how, how other people, famous people, business people and personalities, how do they handle themselves when they fall out of the spotlight or when you go off the air and what do you do when you lose your job and then you're doing something else? Do you look back at what you were as a broadcaster, or do you look straight ahead at something new?
2: It's it's an amazing process. Now, now George, uh, with this book, um, what do you want readers to take away from your writing?
5: Well, I just hope they understand that I'm just an ordinary guy that has had uh, a lot of experiences. I happen to be gifted. In the area, and that's a new gift, by the way, because I was always in sales. I was a professional salesperson when I was 12 years old. Sold everything from peanuts and popcorn and went up and down the stands of baseball parks. You know, I've sold jewelry on the streets. I've sold newspapers on the streets. I have been the ball boy on top of a stadium here catching baseballs when they were hit. I was a clubhouse boy when I was 14 cleaning up all the the mess that professional athletes do in their, in their locker rooms uh in minor league uh I was never afraid to get my hands dirty never afraid to work I had to work there was no money in the family at all uh my father was a barber m- making hardly any money and I had to earn my own money, uh, went in the service and came back out and got back on the street selling. So, uh, why, I'm not different than anybody. I just found that other than selling, I had an ability to write. And when I was managing KBC for all those years, I was writing editorials, uh, to a million people. We had a million people listening to KBC every week and I would talk to them about Oh, uh, shopping in a grocery store or respect for a policeman or a fireman or respect for for the community i would talk about police actions i talk about political things going on i mean it was just life itself and life is very interesting to me i i'm just an ordinary guy i never never tried to look look like i was perched on top of of uh, Of a hill or something talking down to my people, because I am one of those people, and i'm just uh, I like people who are honest and down to earth and say what they want to say and mean what they say and uh nothing special about me other than the fact uh, I like writing.
2: Well, George, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for being on the broadcast. Thank you for coming on and talking about your books and talking to us about your legendary talk radio career, my friend. I appreciate it.
5: Well, it's nice of you to call, and I hope your listeners go to uh, Amazon and uh, buy a book or two because uh, most of the proceeds are going to children's hospitals anyhow.
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, George. Have yourself a wonderful day. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. That's George Green. We are going to go to Donna Carol Voss, who is patiently waiting on the telephone. Donna, how are you, my friend? Lucky Land Casino
0: asking people what's the
4: weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
2: Lucky
1: in line at the deli, I
0: guess.
2: Aha,
1: in my
4: dentist's office.